What a gorgeous day. Welcome to the new and improved, well, at least the longer CKNW Sunday night sex show, now a two-hour show, 8 to 10 p.m. It's the show where we educate men and women about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making your relationships the best they can be. I am Maureen McGrath, registered nurse in sexual health. I'm a clinician, researcher, blogger. It is my absolute pleasure to be here you here with you this evening. And it's great to have you here tonight, Matt, as well, helping out on the program with all the pushing all the buttons. I couldn't do it without you. That's not a great line to say when <laughs> you're hosting a sex show. Anyway, <laughs> I cannot be held responsible for the things that come out of my mouth. Anyway, tonight on the program, <laughs> I won't say anything else, though. Have you ever dealt with a narcissist or worse, a person with the dark triad? I mean, that Machiavellian, that narcissist, that sociopath. I have. And let me tell you, it is brutal. Dr. Michael Woodworth, a psychologist from the University of British Columbia O, is going to join me to talk about his latest research, Manipulators Less Convincing Online Than In Person. Also, I want to know, how do you get out from under their clutches? So hopefully he's going to answer that. Ryan John Phillips, he's the author of Return to Happiness. Ryan's the creator of a documentary by the same name. He shares the story of how he went... From a top hockey player to a drug smuggler to wearing an orange suit and back to happiness. He joins me in the studio. You'll be glad to know. Sex is still taboo. Can you believe it? Even at your doctor's office. So why is it that some healthcare practitioners, except for me, of course, are still shy about asking the sexual health questions? Nurse Jessica, the Advocate RN and blogger at the Sexual Healing with the Advocate RN, joins me from New York tonight to weigh in on this. How do you feel about your doctor taking pictures, especially of your private parts? Dr. John Weissel, a cardiologist, is here to discuss that. Uh, You want to share those on Facebook? I don't think so. Anyway, um, later on in the show, the problem with the problem of pubic hair. (laughs) How's that for a title? Also, some of the problems with porn Uh, might be surprising to you since uh, on some level it can be very helpful for medical conditions like erectile dysfunction and lower interest in sex. Also, why you should sleep naked. We're going to talk about that later in the program because uh, I want you to put the kids to bed because viewer discretion or listener discretion is advised while we're talking about taking pictures of body parts. So please don't send me yours uh, anymore. Uh, Not to say that I haven't gotten them in the past. I have, but... uh, Certainly a description is good enough. Also, I have a sex toy giveaway. So why this ever-ready bunny loves the rabbit. Remember the intervention they did on Sex in the City? Anyway, I can relate to that. Do put the kids to bed. Don't forget, grab a glass of wine and your lover. And by all means, lie down and listen to me if you don't mind. Um, Also, for those of you who are just joining the show, I um, have been on a little personal training adventure, shall we say. And Sean Seal is a personal trainer who has trained me in uh, how to get in better shape, in particular, upper body strength, and um, which I have none of. Uh, however, I would like to say that uh, last night I was at a casual dinner party, and um, my friend is French, and she said um, she wanted to open the champagne at a casual dinner party. And she said, you're doing the personal training. Here, you try. And I thought, oh, me, never. Does anybody have a sword? I can certainly open champagne with a saber. <laughs> but aside from that, I cannot. But shockingly enough, I did manage to pop that cork uh, without popping it. I just 
squeezed it off anyway. And so I, I, I think I'm getting a little bit stronger, but I'm having some other problems. And Sean Seal is here in the studio to talk to me about it. So, Sean, thanks for joining me here. I'm, hi, Maureen. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Okay, so I must be getting a little stronger, but I have to say I have the dark triad of low sexual desire. I am absolutely exhausted, number one, after yeah. a week of lifting weights, like five pounds. And um, I'm also uh, gaining weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so I'm depressed. So that's number two. And um, my stomach is sticking out. <laughs> number three. So I'm starving. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so all of that. So now I'm just like, last week I was comfortable getting naked. This week I'm not. And uh, I've gone through the personal <laughs> training. So what is, what's a girl to do? Um, so like we, like we spoke about last week, uh, it's possible to gain a little bit of weight when you start a new program. Now uh, to address the hunger issue... Um, after you work out, your metabolic rate goes up for about 24 to 72 hours. That means your body's going to consume more energy uh, on a daily basis than you would uh, usually. Uh, and on top of this, as you start building muscle, that new muscle is going to require more energy to just be there. Uh, so I would just advise you to eat more. Oh, I'm doing that, but I'm choosing all the wrong things as well. Okay, well, yes. then eat more of the right things. Yes, yeah, so remind me what some of the right things are. Anything that comes out of a garden or uh, right. yes. that lives, uh, that, that's alive, it, you're good to go. Yes, exactly. So I, I did buy some bok choy today. Mm-hmm. And, that's good. Uh, yes, I did fill up on the vegetables. Uh, you know, they're boring, but, um, you know, I'm going back to eating steadily yeah, over it, but I should, inc- should I increase, uh, the amount of protein that I normally take in and decrease the amount of Oreo cookies that I'm taking in lately? <laughs> the Oreos probably, it's probably better to limit them a little bit. Uh, but otherwise just increase your, your, you know, your healthy food intake. So Overall. creme brulee is not going to do it. And I should not have had two <laughs> last night, right? No, I well, should It was have. a party. It was a party. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, so increase my protein, increase the vegetables. Yeah, and, uh, you know, sweet potatoes, rice, anything that's going to fill you up a little bit more. Oh, okay. I never eat those, actually. And, and healthy. Because they're, they, I, have, I have a tendency to gain weight with those, too. Okay, and, and healthy fats as well, avocados, olive oil, coconut yes. oil. Yes. Uh, you know, anything anything that that you find outside of a package is, is good. Okay, excellent. So I'm I'm doing that. So I'm I'm using the Hoga mat as well, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. It's a nice thick pad and has a towel on it yeah. that snaps in place. So yeah. that's working quite well. And and I've noticed, uh, you know, for all of you ladies out there that are complaining that you're single, there are a million men at the gym. You know, no matter <laughs> what are. gym I go to, uh, <laughs> there's men there. They're all there. Yes. They're all like totally obsessed about themselves and narcissistic, <laughs> looking in the mirrors and everything. But you know, aside from that, there might be one decent one <laughs> in in between the barbells you never know <laughs> that's right but it's kind of embarrassing i i walk over and i'm like looking at the weight number on the end of it trying to look for the five pound barbell and of course they don't have it and <laughs> and then i go well i'm just gonna this is 35 i can lift this and then i like pretend and of course i can't even lift it off the bar <laughs> yeah and then i'm just like i was kidding i didn't really want that one and you know that's fine but uh, but i'm working with your program and uh you know it's i'm i'm doing it that's great I'm- pun intended <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not doing it because I'm now. <laughs> no, anyway. <laughs> um, but no, it's good. And so thank you so much. And uh, so it, we're, we expect to gain weight. So next week I should go back down to my fighting weight, shall I say? It's hard to know. Let, g- give yourself a few <laughs> weeks. Oh, no. I, I can't predict what's going to happen exactly. But, if I, uh, but, you know, eat plenty, sleep 
plenty. That's going to be a big factor oh, as well. Oh, I slept 17 hours uh, this week. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> I'll tell you um, but what, what prompted that sleep, what my yes. opiate was. <laughs> I'll, if you listen to the show a bit later, you'll, you'll hear. Yeah. Well, thanks, Sean, so much. And your website is? Uh, UpsideStrength.com. Okay. And I look forward to the blog that you're going to write tomorrow about this because you're blogging every week. About, I am. Uh, Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yes. So, um, you know, you can sort of certainly make fun of my waistline. Anyway, I can't get into any clothes do this. after one week. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much. Thanks, Hopefully Maureen. I'm trimmer next week. All right. All right. See you. All right. Take care. Thanks so much. Okay. So, uh, Talking about narcissists, I've, a couple of other broadcasters have said to me, I heard you say last week, I love narcissists. I really don't love narcissists. I find that narcissists, I love, I'm intrigued by their behavior. Uh, and I'm intrigued at just how damaged they are and how much damage they can do emotionally, psychologically, and physically to people. And I'm very excited to have Dr. Michael Woodworth join me when I come back to talk about his latest research. And if you're going to make a deal with one of them, how you should do that. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to this. If my fine guest tonight, the number to call is 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Uh, I'm so glad you're here with me tonight, and I'm also very honored to have my next guest. Dr. Michael Woodworth is a professor at UBC Okanagan. He received his Doctor of Philosophy in 2004 from Dalhousie University. His primary areas of research include psychopathy, criminal behavior, and deception detection. And he is here to talk about his latest research, Manipulators Less Convincing Online Than In Person. Welcome, Dr. Woodworth. Hey, thanks so much for having me on the show, Maureen. Um, I think some people can sometimes think of academia as not the, you know, maybe a little bit dry, but being able to tell people that I was going to be on a, a live sex show on <laughs> Sunday night, uh, you've earned me some serious street cred, and, and I can, you know, I can cross that one item off my bucket list as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the, uh, the sex show. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, and I, I love the work that you do because I have a, a mild interest in this as well. I work with a lot of people. I come across a lot of people in my career and in the work that I do. And uh, I'm not the best at deception detection. I shouldn't pr- really put that out there, to be honest with you. Well, you know, that's okay because uh, a lot of people feel that way. But but actually, um, you know what? You might be surprised, uh, at least in some contexts, how you're doing. Well, I discover them after I've been working with them for a bit. And then I realize, you know, it takes a shorter amount of time for me to figure out like, oh, hey, this is a narcissist here. This is a sociopath. This is a psychopath. Uh, You know, I'm not really sure because I don't have the capacity to diagnose, but they're within that dark triad, I know, because they... There's such bizarre behavior. And, and people, last week when you and I chatted briefly, you said to me, uh, you're lucky you're away from the one particular one that I told you about who I had worked with. And you said it's very hard for people to get away from this type of person. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes people find once they get tangled up with these types of individuals to, to extract themselves can be quite challenging. And the remarkable thing is, again, uh, you don't have to feel too badly because there's research suggesting that uh, for these type of individuals and, say, psychopaths, it just takes a matter of seconds after you meet them before they might be able to sort of override whatever your, your best sets or sense of or judgment would be. And we're literally talking pretty much by you hit the 10 to 20 second mark. Is that right? 
Yeah, so I mean, ideally, I guess you just, you know, you, you two seconds and then you just completely, you know, have to turn away and... Uh... It's, it's, yeah, it's probably one second with me. I should probably run in the other direction, but uh, I'm sure they can tell really easily. Don't they, um, it's, it's my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, I, we should probably define what a narcissist or a psychopath is. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, for one, a narcissist, they they would have loved how you said at the beginning there, how you, you loved... You love narcissists. They would have loved that. Because, uh, you know, that would have just—they would have been tickled because uh, they—they are very much uh, sort of self-involved and have uh, a large ego and, and think very highly of themselves. There's some research that suggests that there might be different types of narcissists. Ones that are a little bit more vulnerable and actually have a bit of a fragile ego, and then try and compensate for that. And then other more standard narcissists, where they—they they really do just think that they're the bee's knees. Uh, psychopaths are similar, but they also have a lot of other. Um, darker qualities that narcissists might not, including a real lack of empathy for others. Right. And do, I thought they were empty. Now, um, f- they feel empty inside. Is that psychopaths? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that's psychopaths so Is much. It, they, they often feel, feel quite, quite, quite good. They feel great about themselves, too. So why do they want to take other people down, essentially? Like, it's almost sport for them. Well, you know what, I think for some psychopaths, the, the way they're going about and operating in the world, or individuals with uh, psychopathy, or that score higher on it at least, where they are just figuring out how they can use other individuals to uh, serve whatever purpose or, or meet whatever need. And, and it's not much different, frankly, let's, you know, let's not beat up too much just on them. You know, other humans do things like this all the time as well, but at a certain point, you know, we have our, our morality or our conscience and the compass kind of kicks in, and uh, we maybe refrain from some some activities that would be hurtful to others or harmful, and that's where uh, the psychopaths uh, come up lacking. Okay, and then how about sociopaths? Well, sociopaths, uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, most people in my field believe they're more what we would think of as someone with antisocial personality disorder. So they got a lot of problematic uh, behavioral traits, but maybe not some of this interpersonal and emotional type of stuff that we've been talking about a little bit. Okay, so how about the person who is incredibly charming when you meet them? They have so much charm. They're too good to be true. They may offer you a great job that you never thought you would get, and you might be unemployed. uh, And you think, this is too good to be true. This is amazing. They're so charming. And then the charm wears off. And then they berate you, and they belittle you, and they abuse you, and they take advantage of you, and they work you to the bone, and they, they they throw things at you, and they're angry, and they're... They have mood fluctuations and maybe may have addiction issues. Is that a new whole new quality of person? <laughs> well, I was saying that is quite the description of, uh-huh. a, of a human that's not so not so desirable. But I, you bring up a great point that you could have a person that initially seemed uh, very charming uh, and somebody that would be that you would like to spend a lot of time with and perhaps even yes date. Um, and then it would turn out that a lot of those kind of negative characteristics would kind of seep out over time. Right. And do they do that on purpose? Is that, do they, I I always, I understand these people lure people in and then only to abuse them within a very short amount of time. And they, and they get confused and they think, you know, it was amazing. Like I, you know, the work was going great or the relationship was going great and it was fantastic. We had this chemistry and then boom, this person is bizarre, has bizarre behavior, may use drugs, may have mood disorders, may maybe embarrass somebody or set somebody up for failure? 
Yeah, and I mean, there's other individuals that are not necessarily psychopathic where they're going to have uh, various features like that and other types of mental health issues or, or substance use issues. But I think the key thing to keep in mind with someone that's, say, higher on dark triad or psychopathic is that they uh, they have an uncanny ability to maybe uh, work on people's vulnerabilities right. and to uh, be very effective at conning and manipulating others. Exactly. That's the next part. They con. Okay. Uh, you know, people will. I. These are real life stories that I'm telling you. Okay. I believe you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Finally, I have a therapist. Hey. <laughs> Not easy for a sex expert to get her own therapist, but yeah, anyway. I think we need a little bit more time. <laughs> Uh, this is too good to be true. No. Um, so that that conning thing and that manipulation. Now, I know somebody who has allegedly, you know, found a cure for something, mm-hmm. um, you know, a problem that everybody's been trying to find an, an answer for for a long time has raised millions. And I'm talking tens of millions of dollars from vulnerable people or people who he's conned into somebody. I said to them, why did you ever invest in that company? And the person said to me, well, it was a great story. And both of us went silent and he like it was like the light went off in his head. That's all it was was a great story. Right. And managed to he's this guy has he has conned I mean uh three hundred people. Wow. And, yeah. Yeah. That uh it doesn't surprise me. And you know, if you think about it in general, there's something that uh, maybe you've even talked about on the show before, something called the, the truth bias, where, I mean, it's way too difficult to be going about suspecting everybody and, and figuring that everyone's out to dupe you or that, they, I mean, we right. typically want to believe other people, and our, our, our default is this truth bias. So people are actually better uh, at detecting truth or lies when there's more truth embedded to, to figure out than deception, just because we're better at it, and that's the way we kind of lean towards this truth bias. And so in a situation uh, like you're describing, I mean, there's lots of people out there that it's, it's far more comforting to go about uh, believing that the other person uh, is being genuine. Exactly. That's my problem. As I kind of trust people and take them at face value, and, and I just can't imagine... You know, I, I grew up with a father who would say, um, you know, it's nice to be nice. And I remember saying to him after a particular experience, you know, but the people aren't there. They're all they're not all nice out there. Like, I thought everyone was going to be nice. <laughs> uh, well, I guess the good news is if you if you have to be exposed to too many of those type of individuals over time, it could be argued that you would start to then maybe lean the other way and have a bit of a uh, uh, deceit, you know, deception bias. I, I do. I do have that. I can now I can spot them, you know, in the room or, you know. A mile away, quite frankly. Uh, so I'm much less, um, much less trusting, if you will, and much more on guard. And you know, when other people, of course, come to me for advice from me, I can I can see their the situation much clearer. Being outside of the ring and uh, saying, no, this just doesn't add up. You know, when it's too good to be true, it generally is. So you have some new research out about if we're going to do any any deals with these people. Uh, they're much less convincing online than in person. So tell me about that. Yeah, well, we're really excited about this re- research. As far as we know, it's one of the first studies that's actually looked at. Okay, we've got you know a plethora of studies, if I if I can use that word, that uh, show that face to face they they are. It's not just anecdotal evidence. Uh, they are very good at conning and manipulating others. 
And uh, we wanted to see what would happen if we put these individuals in a computer-mediated context where they're only interacting online and they only have text to go by. And we've actually done two different studies, and this is with my, uh, two of my grad students, Lisa Crossley and Pamela Black, and actually consulting also with uh, UBC alumni, uh, Robert Hare. And uh, we wanted to see what would happen both with a negotiation paradigm where you were negotiating over the price of concert tickets, an uh, important thing for a lot of people, and then also in a deception setting where we were seeing how they would do with deception. And we were curious, would they be able to sort of adapt to online features and continue to be successful at uh, both negotiation and deception, or would there be something about losing the nonverbal side of uh, the equation that might impact these more dark uh, characters. And, uh, and so you found out that they actually are not as convincing than online. So if you're going to make a deal with them, are you, they're better to do it in person. That's right. But I they mean, may not very know limited that. evidence so far in just uh-huh. the initial stages of these research projects, which we're now continuing. But we did find both with negotiation, and in fact, what's not in that uh, article that's been published, we've also now found with deception that as your dark triad score goes up, you actually do worse both at negotiating and uh, with deception, but only in online contexts. Interesting. You know, we're going to go to break. I'm, I'm going to ask you, do you mind hanging on for a few minutes? Or? Hey, sure. Okay. All right. We're going to go to break and I'll come back. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. I am hosting the show. I'm Maureen McGrath. I come to you live every Sunday night for two hours. And we're talking about narcissists and Machiavellian behavior and psychopaths and people on the dark triad. And Dr. Michael Woodworth, a professor at the University of British Columbia at Okanagan, is on the line. Uh, Thanks for hanging with me, Dr. Woodworth. Well, hey, no problem. I'm having a blast. I just remembered how you said everybody uh, that's on the show should have a glass of wine. So, uh, <laughs> this is hey, this is getting better and better. Fantastic. That's great. Next step is, you know, get your lover. <laughs> Lie down with your lover. Anyway, not until you finish the interview, though, okay? Please. Okay. <laughs> For you. The guests have to wait. Um, no, it's great. It's really interesting information because a lot of people get tied up with these this type of personality disorder, and it can wreak havoc on lives. So you're, we're talking about your uh, research, manipulators less convincing online than in person, and it's initial research, as you said, or preliminary research. So how do, you, um, uh, how do we guard against uh, being conned by these people, or, how do, or should we make deals online, or... Uh, well, you know, what, what we're seeing, and I think uh, a few of the things that might be going on about why they're not as effective uh, online is, is, one, it does appear that uh, we all know that when we meet somebody that they can have a real sense of presence or they can come off as very gregarious, and, and, uh, and a lot of that does appear to be through their nonverbal behavior. So mm-hmm. they can come across uh, with body language where they, they're very confident, uh, or they might distract the, the listener from some of the underlying things that they're saying, but that they, they really use that, you know, they use their body language. Um, So you don't have any of that online. Uh, In addition to that, though, and another thing with uh, individuals scoring higher in psychopathy, we've also done research that's shown that their, their language 
is not particularly compelling. Uh, for example, they um, they they lack coherency. It's not very readable. They use a lot of negative uh, terms. They use a lot of first-person pronouns, like a narcissist as well, so a lot of it's oh, all about them. Stuff that if you think about it, when you're trying to make a deal or you're trying to think about who you might want to date, right. um, may not come across as so compelling. Face-to-face might be another story, but it, it, they're sort of smoked out a bit when they're in these online environments where someone's like, well, you know what, this, uh, what I'm reading here and this this back-and-forth interaction online is not really doing it for me. Interesting. You know, um one of my latest uh, narcissist or psychopath, uh, whatever I was dealing with, uh, was always thinking, I, I have a little bit of expertise in workplace bullying. And so he was always thinking he was being bullied. And, uh, and so he would always write these emails to people and he would always have me edit the emails for him. And I did it as a favor. And I mean, his emails were exactly as you describe, all about him, negative, harsh, uh, in, um, uh, you know, not smooth, if you will. He was not a smooth operator. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, and I would, I would do that for him. I would edit it and I'd say, no, you don't want to do this. And, you know, write this instead. And, um, cause I'm quite smooth online. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I, of course I was being genuine and I was being honest. And then, you know, he really, uh, tried to throw me under the bus, uh, in a, uh, in an incident that I had with him about a year ago. And then again, recently, and then I, I left, but yeah, ho- hopefully not literally. That, that sounds scary. Yeah, no, no, not literally. Have you not heard that expression before? <laughs> <Gee>. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I wasn't under the bus. Um, But he, you know, he basically tried to take me down in my, you know, metaphorically in my career. And uh, so I knew I'm I'm in, you know, I'm in dangerous waters here with this person. So I I did. Very interesting that he got you to uh, go in and do the messages, maybe knowing at some level, like a lot of our language is at an unconscious level, and we, we can't be controlling how many disfluencies or how many times we use a first person and pronoun, and, and it would seem that, especially if you're just interacting back and forth in real time online, uh, some of that appears to spill over to to uh, text online. Exactly, exactly. I also know of somebody who was, um, she was recently divorced, and then she met somebody online, and and they spoke, and they she's an intelligent professional woman, and they were back and forth, and they were talked on i I believe it was just online chatter and but it was over six months, and then he asked her for money, and at least the the red flag was waved, so she realized, oh my goodness, but she'd had some other signs, and I said, "Well, what were some of the signs and one of them was that she'd heard a rooster in the background, so he's probably calling from Ghana or something, and he said he was this you know billionaire from Britain, you know anyway, he was a head of some organization, and so she ignored some of the signs as well but but online he was pretty pretty convincing. Right, so that that's then where you have to start looking for other cues that might uh, hopefully have your uh, your better sense kick in. Yes, exactly. Well, it's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. I don't love narcissists, just for the record. <laughs> oh, <They're... laughs> yeah, you're going to break their heart right now. I know. Oh, I don't yeah. love them at all. They are they are. N- a nightmare. And, you know, I, I cannot believe how much damage they do to so many people in, in so many different ways. And, and I think your, your research and your work is vital to society and, uh, and people need to pay attention to this. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate you having me on. Well, my pleasure. I, I would love to invite you back uh, to talk further about some of your other research as well. So hopefully you'll join me again. 
Great. That sounds awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. Have a great night, Dr. Woodworth. Okay, you too. All Thanks. right. Thanks Bye-bye. so much. Okay. Have you ever been involved with a narcissist? Anyway, you can email me, sextalk at cknw.com. My next guest is the furthest thing from a narcissist you could ever meet. I met him in the hospital. Uh, We were both working together, and he stood up for somebody who was being bullied. A, A GP was bullying a registered nurse, and he spoke up, and I said, who is that? And they said, oh, that's the cardiologist. And, and I introduced myself to him, and, uh, and then he came out with this booming voice, and I said, I, I love that you stood up for that nurse in, uh, in front of that doctor, in front of everybody else. And, and he said, oh, well, I'm not, I'm, okay, I'm not. <laughs> now I'm imitating his voice. <laughs> and he came out with this booming voice, which it's, uh, you know, was like, well, I don't like that behavior at all. And I said, oh, my gosh, you're a cardiologist. You're smart, and you have a fabulous radio voice. Will you join me on the program? And he comes on regularly. Dr. John Weisler, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thanks for having me, Maureen. And I thought your impression of my voice was pretty good, actually. It's not bad at all. <laughs> I don't think it's too bad. I think it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> pretty good. I, I Better than the French one. But uh, So thank you so much. We've become great friends. And we've you know, gotten to know each other. I thought you were better at this, though, John. But you confessed the other night to the Irish Catholic nurse that you're not as comfortable as you would like to be speaking about sex to your patients. Well, yeah, that's that's right, Maureen. I mean, uh, I, uh, I, I'm a, I've got the pleasure of being a regular contributor on this show, and I've known you for several years. And you would figure that if any doctor would do a good job asking patients about their sexual questions, it would be it's somebody like myself. It's got to be you. <laughs> but it's, uh, surprisingly, I was, I was reflecting on my own practice. I don't ask as much as I should, for sure, probably way less than I should. And, you know, it's pretty normal after patients have a heart attack. They want to know when they can get back to sexual activity, and they have a lot of questions. And I certainly do answer it a fair bit from patients, but... Do I ask and you know ask for patients for their for their questions as much as I should? And I don't think I do for sure. Well, well short of the mark, I think, unfortunately. Well, it's you know it's great for you to actually admit that you know like yeah. it, we we can only face re- you know where only the truth is interesting. Number one, yep. and uh, and really that's the only way when we look at ourselves and and look at what we may or may not do well. I probably don't ask enough about heart function to my <laughs> patients, <laughs> but I do text you in the middle of the day, like, what do you think of this elevated CRP? You without- do have <laughs> the odd question now <laughs> yes, and then. You do. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> um, so it can be difficult to ask patients about their sexual health. And, and to be quite honest, I have a sexual health practice. Uh, I I see patients, they come to see me for sexual health issues, but I'm not 100% confident that they're going to be okay with all of the questions that I ask. So I have to give a bit of a disclaimer too, that I'm going to ask you these questions. And, you know, at some point you may say, I'm not comfortable with that. And, and that's fine. And so you, you also have to have a degree of confidence that somebody might say, I don't want to talk about it. But on the line, I have Jessica, who's a registered nurse, and she is the Advocate RN, and she is a blogger of the sexual healing with the Advocate RN. Well, that sounds something, like, very interesting, and it's a great blog. Hello, Jessica. Hi. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Oh, fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, thank you so much. Jessica and I have been on a couple of ad boards together, advisory boards together, and uh, we, of course, meet on this uh, level. And Jessica, you noticed in your hospital, and you're calling me from New York, or we're calling you in New York, thank you so much, and it's late for you, but um, this, you kind of fell into talking to patients about sex, did you? 
I did. I did, actually. I noticed that um, patients were coming in with a variety of issues, and it was a medical surgical unit. And one of the things that was not being addressed was their sexual health. So they would, um, for example, they would come in with um, diabetes, uh, postmenopausal, their sugar so is out of control, cardiac issues, and, and they would still have partners and they wouldn't be having sex. And it would kind of come up, uh, just through conversation, you know, in an inpatient, in an inpatient situation, you've got that, that relationship, 12 hours, 24 hours, uh, however long that they're there. And it would come up and they would never address it with their practitioner, but, I would ask the question. And and what prompted you to ask the question? What what made you, did you just have a sense that uh, this is an area, I mean, we have the assessment forms and we have, you know, cardiovascular, res- respiratory, neurological, psychiatric, GIGU. We never have sexual health on that form, right? Those standard forms right. or even in the electronic medical records forms. They're not, it's not a standard part of the question because... People can get in trouble, maybe they think, or it's such a taboo subject. Well, I think the, one of the first times that it came up, and I'm thinking particularly particularly about this woman who was postmenopausal, she was sharing a room with another woman, and this gentleman would come and visit, um, and I asked who he was, and she said, oh, that's that's my boyfriend, and I live in an assisted living or a retirement home um, community. And then we just started talking, and I said, "Well, how does that work?" I, I have a, I have a, a little bit of a habit of being slightly inappropriate. I think at certain times, so I was just asking. <laughs> Don't say that. that. Don't discredit yourself. You, right. Well, you know, how does that work? Yes. You know, are you making love? Are you together? And she said, "Well, yeah. Well, we will have sex once a month." And I thought, "Like sixty a month? Is it? Yeah. Pardon me. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. To have sex once oh, a month. So, right, yeah, we'll have sex. And so I wanted to know why are they only having sex once a month? And she said, "Well, it's just difficult." And I thought, "Is it the space? Do you have a roommate? What? What was this?" And then it then it occurred to me. I thought, "Okay, postmenopausal, vaginal dryness." High, you know, her sugar was out of control, diabetic, hypertension. Was she having any vaginal pain? And that's what it was about. It was about vaginal pain for her and possibly yeast infection and it manifesting in just severe pain. So sex, she wanted to have more sex, but was physically unable to have it and never brought it up to anybody. Of course, it's a, um, it's such an embarrassing subject. I'm just going to ask you to hang on the line because I think we have to go to break, Jessica. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the best way to approach your patients or the best way to be approached when you are dealing with a doctor and your sex life. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. You are listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. I am Maureen McGrath hosting this show. I have Dr. John Weisler. He is a cardiologist. Joining me in the studio, he's been here on the program before, but Jessica, the advocate RN, never has, but she's on the line. Hello, Jessica. Hi. Hi. Thanks for staying with me. 
Okay, so uh, I think we all know that it's important that healthcare providers, whether they be doctors or nurses, physiotherapists, pharmacists, talk to patients about their sex lives. So I use a plicit model where I uh, ask permission, I give limited information, I make specific suggestions, and if I need to, I send them off to more intensive therapy. Is there a particular way that you talk to your patients about sex, Jessica? I use that model as well. I think that I also I also tell them that I'm known as the sex nurse. So when we start to discuss it... That can be a dangerous very, thing, Jessica. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, can, it can be. It can I am be. the sex nurse. <laughs> I am I your am sex, sex nurse. nurse. <laughs> I, like to, I like to gauge who I'm dealing with. It depends on who the patient population is. Right. In, mo- in most cases, when I say I'm the sex nurse, they kind of go, oh, okay, all right, okay. Thank goodness. Right. I'm fine in that area. No problem. That's when I go to a exactly. dinner party and people are like, what do you do? And then I say, I'm the sex nurse. And they say, oh, I'm absolutely fine. We're fine. Yeah, we're great. I'm like, yeah, you're not. But go ahead. Go right. ahead. <laughs> exactly. Right. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't have that problem. Yeah. Yeah. I get that a lot. Exactly. And then, but usually those are the nurses too. Yes. Who will then pull you into a back room. Of course. And exactly. Say, and that's dangerous way, too. <laughs> When the sex nurse is pulled into a back room, go on, you're making this. <laughs> well, you've you got to keep it interesting. Right? That's right, exactly. And creative. Exactly. So that's, so that's one of the things that I do mention. Mm-hmm. Um, but I make sure that I'm in a private area, that we can speak plainly. I'm not going to rush off and say, well, let's talk about this, you know, next week or tomorrow, or I don't have the time. Right. Uh, I also have found that. By speaking about sexuality, it gets patients to consider making changes in their health. So, for example, if you're a young person who's a type 1 diabetic and the idea of controlling your sugar, making diet changes, exercising is overwhelming or something that just, oh, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But you approach them and you say, listen, I bet you're not having the sexual life you want to have. You may want to be dating. You might want to find somebody to have an intimate relationship with. And they go, well, what does that have to do with my diabetes? And you start to explain to them how it works together. They sometimes think, oh, well, maybe I should consider my diet. Maybe I should be more compliant with my insulin. Maybe I should start exercising. That's right. It's actually a real sex. It's a real health issue. Sorry. Sex is a real health issue and and it can certainly be the canary in the coal mine. Now, sometimes uh, we, I like you have a great blog and I, I have a blog as well. And so I can use that and refer patients to the blog and they can read about vaginal health, for example, or, or some other things that I write about. And, um, and Dr. Weisler, I'm sure you refer patients to, um, to different resources like yep. sexuality and you menopause and you and a lot of those other ones. And, and now you've got a chapter in a book. I understand that's right. It's a great book <laughs> that that's you right. can know. I wouldn't say that, uh, but you can refer patients to Dr. Weisler was so generous as to write a chapter about sex and heart disease uh, in for my book, uh, which is coming out in May, the Irish Catholic nurse talk sex. Um, so, you know, and sometimes people like to, 
have material that they can go to and read in the privacy and comfort of their own home. Yeah, I think it's uh, very important. I mean, I think some of the reasons I maybe fail sometimes is, you know, uh, hopefully not, I'm not too uncomfortable talking about it, but just a lack of time. Lack of time, exactly. Focused on other issues. So if you can just introduce the topic with the patient, then refer them to other resources. uh, I think that's a great great way to start. It's perfect. So Jessica, your blog is? TheAdvocateRN.com. Perfect. And you have a survey uh, right now that you'd like people to complete for you. Is that for anybody? In that- I do. Yeah, that's for anybody. It's, uh, it's asking about sexuality and hospitalization, but you don't have to have been hospitalized in order to take the survey. Okay. And it's, yeah. How so do they access can- the survey? Pardon me? How do people access the survey? On on the blog, if you go to theadvocatern.com, you can, it'll say, take the survey, and you can click on the survey. Perfect. And you can see the responses as well. It's completely anonymous. Excellent. And you can see the responses. I, I did take a look at it myself, and it looks like it's gathering great information. So thank you so much, Jessica. Thank you so much for being on the line with me. Thank you so you're, much for You're very me. welcome. Well, we'll get you back, see uh, the results of that survey. Great. Okay, thanks. fantastic. And Dr. Weisler, thank you for talking to me about this particular subject. And uh, and hopefully we're going to collaborate a little bit and offer some sexual health services. That's our goal anyway. That's the plan. Even on a short-term basis, uh, get you and your staff all up to date on talking sex like it's shampoo. That sounds like a great <laughs> plan. Sounds good. Recently, I, was, uh, I had done a, a, a rehearsal for a talk, and uh, I was looking for feedback. And the, one of the men went... His response, instead of, you know, you were too slow here and you, you know, shouldn't have this subject. I was looking for concrete feedback and he went like he took a giant breath and he said, that was breathtaking. And I Good Lord, <laughs> what have I done? And I spoke to another colleague of mine, a male colleague, and I said, look, you know, I did this and this was the response. I was looking for feedback. And he said, you know, Maureen, a lot of people are uncomfortable talking about sex. And you and I, you know, he's a a physician as well. You think you know who I'm talking about. And uh, he said, we're so comfortable talking about it. We talk about it all the time. It's, uh, but for some people, it's actually just shocking. And they're just, you know, he probably was overwhelmed and, you know, really didn't know how to respond. And I think, uh, you know, he was right on that. But certainly it wasn't a breathtaking talk. I needed to take a few breaths. (laughs) Anyway, well, uh, you're going to stay with me into the second hour because we're going to be talking about taking photographs of your patients. So okay, that's not a good thing. And uh, when I come back, I have, uh, I'm going to introduce you to a very interesting guy. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show.